All right, week one, we talked about two different responses to the Word of God. You know, Zechariah was a godly man. He was a good guy, but he had a bad moment. He doubted, and he wanted a sign. And uh, I think a rather astonished Gabriel gave him a sign. He said, you will be struck dumb until all these things come to pass. And then we saw Mary and her reception of the Word of God. She accepted with humility and submission even though she didn't understand. Hopefully we learn to respond like Mary rather than like Zechariah when we are encountered with the word of God. And Mary in Luke one thirty eight said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So Mary understood who was the servant and who was the master. Now I think sometimes we get a little confused when we pray about things and God doesn't do what we tell him, hmm, that, that doesn't sound like we understand that we're the servant and he's the master, right? So if he's the master, then we can ask of him, but we can't tell him what to do. He, though, can tell us what to do any and every time. And we say, you are the master, I'm the servant, and let it be to me according to your word. And then week two, we saw the dignity and personhood of the unborn as we saw the unborn uh, prophet John leap for joy at the presence of his unborn Savior. Today, we're going to talk about the mercy of God. Now, I went to kind of the, one of the flagship um, Southern Baptist churches when I was growing up. I went to Bellevue Baptist Church and heard the preaching and teaching of Dr. Adrian Rogers, and I was blessed by that. But all those years, I heard that I should study the Bible, and yet nobody really taught me how to study the Bible. And I know I can read the Bible, but reading the Bible and studying are a little bit different. So one of the things that I want to happen on Sunday morning is I want to sort of show you how to study the Bible along with me as I preach. So if you are a note taker, you can look back on your notes and go, okay, I see how he was thinking about this. So if you want to learn to study the Bible, I would recommend you kind of take some notes and look back over it and see what's going on. Because one of the words that we're going to see repeated over and over in this passage is the word mercy. Now, I found a lot of different definitions of mercy, but one of them is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. So can we show God mercy? Well, no, because he doesn't deserve punishment. And if he did, we couldn't carry it out. But he certainly can show us mercy. Now, I hope our look at God's mercy will cause you to love God more because of the mercy that you've been shown. I also hope that it will help you appreciate your salvation more. Now, what happens... What concrete thing happens when you love God more and appreciate your salvation more? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, if you love me, in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so we find out that if we love the Lord more, we will serve the Lord better. Now, a lot of folks get that backward and they think, well, I got to do right so God will love me. But no, really, the more we love God, the more we will want to serve and submit to him. So the first thing I want us to see is that God's mercy leads to worship. Luke 1, 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, for now on, all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and his name, and holy is his name. And his mercy, there's that word mercy, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Now we Protestants don't give Mary the credit that she is due. She is a wonderful example of faith. Now, if you're driving down the interstate and you see one of those big blown out tires off an 18 wheeler and you don't see it until the last minute, you might swerve. And if you swerve to the right, you might go too hard and you think, oh no, I'm going to end up in this ditch. So you swerve back the other way and you end up in the median because you, you oversteer, right? Sometimes we do that in reaction to things we don't like. And I think we have oversteered as Protestants in reaction to the Roman Catholic uh, view of Mary. Now, many Roman Catholics worship Mary, and many Roman Catholics see her as the co-redeemer with Christ. Both of these are blasphemous, and Mary, the humble and faithful servant of the Lord that she is, would be horrified at these practices. But she is such a wonderful example to us of faithfulness and submission. In verse 47, she confesses her need for a Savior. She says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God is the focus of this beautiful song that she sings. Luke 1.49 says, For he who is mighty has done great things. She's not, she's not pointing the spotlight on her. She's saying, He has done great things for me. Praise, you see, is the response to those who have been shown great mercy. In Luke 7, 47, Jesus is talking about this love because of mercy. And he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So our worship, our response to God, is in proportion to what we see about God's mercy. Do you love God much or little or none at all? Now, you may say, if I love God none at all, I wouldn't be here. But that's not necessarily true. Because we can come to church and we can, do, we can jump through certain hoops because of what we think we're going to get from God, not because we love God. Now, if you say, well, I, I think I love him much. Well, do you love God as much as he deserves? I don't. I wish I did, but I know that I don't. But you know what? I love him more than I did a couple of years ago. Why is that? Did, what happened? What changed? Well, I see more of who God is because I studied the scripture. And I realize more of who I am because I studied the scripture. <laughs> and this makes me love God more and more because I see his mercy. I keep being amazed by his grace. We sang amazing grace. And then another one of the songs, we, song, we sang about amazing grace. I grow in the realization of how much I've been forgiven how much mercy has been extended to me, and that makes me love the Lord more. The more we realize and appreciate God's mercy toward us, the more passionately, 
the more genuinely and the more frequently we will worship the Lord. This awesome song of praise is inspired by Mary's response to the mercy shown to her. So we see that mercy produces worship. Also, we see that God resists the proud, but gives mercy to the humble. Now you may say, wait a second, that verse says God uh, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Yes, it does. But he also gives mercy to the humble. And we can see that in Luke 1, 50 through 54. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Guys, there are a lot of people and a lot of preachers that will tell you that his mercy is for those who just draw breath. You want to know the quickest way to, be, uh, to, to go to heaven? It is die and some pastor at your funeral will proclaim, no matter who you were, how you lived, or what your relationship to God or the church was, that you're better off now and in a better place. But his mercy, I want you to see, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Now let me ask you, are you proud or humble or both? (laughs) I am a strange mixture of both. Look, here's how this works. The new man, the regenerated, spirit-filled Steve, is humble. I'm, I'm truly awestruck that God would give his love and salvation to a worm like me. But the old sin nature says, all right, if you're a worm, you're a glow worm because you're better than that worm over there, right? So the sin nature hangs around and says, no, no, we, we don't like this humility stuff. Pride is just our default setting, okay? Humility is something that has to be produced by the Spirit of God in us. Now, false humility can be our default setting. Um, you've ever, if you've ever been around somebody, especially a musician that uh, wants a lot of compliments, they'll play something wonderful or sing something wonderful, and you come up and say, oh, that was beautiful. And instead of saying thank you, they'll say, oh, I just... I just can't hardly sing. Uh, You know, the Lord just gave me this little old scraggly voice and I do the best I can with it. And they want you to say, no, no, you sound so good, right? So false humility is really, really vanity. But genuine humility is produced by the Spirit of God. And those are the people we read about in Mary's song that God exalts, right? So we need to pursue genuine humility. Now, we already talked about a definition of mercy but if you ever think you deserve mercy, then, then you have forgotten what the word mercy means, right? It's something we don't deserve. Uh, it's like saying, I have this bachelor friend who's married. I mean, this doesn't make sense, right? Because the word bachelor means not married. And if he's married, then he's not a bachelor. So if you say, I deserve mercy, you're saying, I deserve something that is totally undeserved. You hear people say, everyone deserves a second chance. Well, First of all, who says, right? (laughs) Who says we deserve a second chance? And next, a second chance won't help. A third chance won't help. The the 50th chance I had, I would have screwed up too because I sin, right? Because I'm a sinner. God gives us something so much better than a second chance. 
That's why salvation is completely different from turning over a new leaf. You'll see some people that want to come to church because something has happened. Something in their life has stressed them out and they'll come to church for a week. I had a guy call me fairly recently and say, hey, I'm coming to church. And uh, out of the blue. And I didn't know what had happened. I assumed something happened in his life that gave him the urgency to want to come to church and want to get God back on his side. Well, by Sunday, apparently it had resolved itself because I didn't see him. (laughs) All right, so... uh, We'll see folks that get in little crises and turn over a new leaf, but salvation is something completely different. Next, I want us to see that God's mercy leads to restoration. And on the eighth day, this is in verse 49, and on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid it up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Now Zechariah had time and quiet time to reflect on what he thought about how to respond to the word of God. He's no longer questioning and skeptical. He immediately is submissive and obedient. God, in his mercy, brings restoration. He looses his tongue, and then Zechariah uses that tongue to glorify God and speak prophecy about both his son John and his Savior. Now, the right of naming shows ownership or dominion, and it does in the, in the Bible, but it also does in our day. You know, uh, Adam... God brought the animals to Adam to see what he would name them. He gave Adam the right to name them because he placed Adam in dominion over them. Abram was renamed by God, Abraham. Jacob was renamed by God, Israel. Sarai was renamed Sarah. Saul, after he met Jesus, was renamed Paul. God changed their names to reflect a change in their relationship to him. You know, you get to name your children, right? (laughs) They're yours. They are in submission to you for their years of growing up. And so you get to pick their names. But if you get a family dog and you go to one of your kids and say, hey, this is going to be your dog. You got to take care of this dog. You got to feed this dog. Then normally you'll let the kid name the dog too, right? Maybe within some boundaries so it's not weird. But you let the kid name the dog because it's going to be the kid's dog. Well, Zechariah was submitting to God because he knew that God had reserved the right to name his son because of the dominion and the ownership that he would have. Now, you remember that Zechariah was initially skeptical of God's word delivered by the angel Gabriel. Are you still dealing with the consequences of not listening to God at some point in your life? If you are, repent and listen to him now. I have a friend who tells me that he believes that when he was younger, God called him into ministry, but he didn't go into ministry. And so what is my advice for my friend? Do ministry now. Now, the option to go uh, get his seminary training and do vocational ministry may have passed him by, but do ministry now. Repent, go back and do what God told you to do. Now, if you say, well, you know, God told me to marry 
Anne, but instead I married Barbara. What should I do? Should I go back and redo it? No, no, but you should uh, submit to the Lord in that area of your life now. You should repent and say, all right, now in the area of life that is relationships, I am going to now submit to God and become the very best husband I can be. You know, the more you obey God, the better spouse you'll be. So our next point is God's mercy leads to the gospel. Starting in verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So once uh, the restoration occurred for Zechariah, he not only was able to speak again, but the Lord gave him this prophecy of the gospel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days." And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel." So this prophecy contains in it the plan of salvation. In verse 68 and 69, he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, this whole uh, horn of salvation thing, I know a horn is kind of weird, but horn is a symbol of power and authority in the Bible. And then he says, of course, from the line of David, as Jesus was. But we need to see here that fallen man is, is at war with God. The Bible says we're at enmity with God. Now, we started this thing when we rebelled against our Creator. Our broken relationship with God is entirely our fault, yet God came in person to fix it. We read that he will visit his people. All other religions tell us how to get to God, tell us how to get to God, wrongly, by doing a list of things, right? Now, Christianity is the only faith, the only true religion, that says actually God came to us because we couldn't get to him. Now, you may say, well, we have a list of rules too, don't we? Yeah, we do. We got the Ten Commandments, and then we got a whole bunch of other commandments. But the law teaches us the futility and the hopelessness of earning our salvation, and then if we are saved by repentance and faith, we've received mercy. And then God empowers us to live in a way that glorifies him. You know, uh, it, it says that he's going to visit and redeem. The word redeem means to purchase. Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it, right? Redeemed by the blood of the lamb, bought by the precious blood of our Savior. Nothing else could have paid the price for you. So how do you respond to that awesome truth? By living for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us this. For you were bought with a price. That's a different way of saying redeemed. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
But I'm straying a little bit into our next topic, which is the purpose of salvation. We see in this prophecy the plan of salvation. We also see the purpose of salvation. In verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, verse 71 is talking about salvation from physical enemies and oppressors. Uh, Jesus will put an end to that. He will rule with perfect peace and justice one day, and no one will be persecuted or mistreated. There's a lot of conversation these days about social justice. Christians should certainly be interested in and support social justice. Justice and righteousness are characteristics of our God, right? Of all people, we ought to be interested in justice. Now, we should absolutely stand against racism. Replacing racism against blacks with racism against whites, though, is not justice. That's foolishness. And the people in the church have to have the wisdom and the courage to say that. Stealing from those who are willing to work to give to those who are not willing to work is clearly not justice. So we need to not let people who have no relationship to God, no concept of God, no understanding from the Word of God hitchhike, just just take over these words that actually are good words. Social justice, that's a great thing. We need society, we need justice in society, but we don't need to let it be corrupted into foolishness. So the Messiah, though, is going to deliver us from physical enemies and oppressors. He'll deliver us from the ultimate consequences of our sins, too, if we repent and put our faith in him. He'll deliver us even from the finality of death. Instead of death being this terrifying end that we're all horrified of, it becomes a gateway to glory for those of us who put our faith in Christ. Another purpose of salvation is found in verse 74 and 75, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Only through the sacrifice of Jesus can we serve God in holiness and righteousness. Now, this is the other half of the good news of the gospel that people sometimes miss. And I really don't want you to miss it because if you internalize this and really believe it, it will change your relationship to God. It will change your prayer life. It will change your motivation to serve the Lord. And that is that, that guys, we don't just get forgiven when we place our faith in Christ. If we got forgiven, that'd be kind of like getting a second chance, right? Because we'd mess it up again the next day. But instead of that, we are also given the righteousness of Christ. That is put on our account. So what that means is, once you are truly in Christ, there is nothing you can do to make him love you more than he does right now. There is nothing you can do to make him love you less than he does right now. That is a freeing and wonderful truth. Now, obviously, we can use that liberty uh, in the wrong way if we're not actually saved, okay? If we say, hey, if I recite this prayer, then I can sin all I want because I'm good to go. Well, that clearly shows that you're not in Christ and don't have a renewed mind, right? But once you are in Christ, knowing that there's no performance that you can do to make God love you more today... And next week, he's not going to be mad at you because you messed up. You are in Christ. You are forgiven. You are beloved. You are adopted. Now, you can do foolishness to grieve the Holy Spirit, so don't do foolishness. But you're not going to lose your salvation. 
There was a woman at a church in Macomb. Uh, I got to preach there, uh, I think, one time. And uh, I met this woman afterward, and she came up to me afterward. And uh, it's always encouraging to a pastor when somebody says, oh, thanks, thanks for the sermon, it was a good sermon. But let me tell you, it was really encouraging. It's when they listen and they internalize. Because this lady came up to me and said, you, I was preaching out of 1 Corinthians 5, and I was talking about being a new creature in Christ and a new creation. And she came up to me and she said, you know, I want to serve in the church, but I am just not worthy to serve in the church because of, and then she tells me this list of sins. By the way, guys, I've heard all you can tell me. Uh, unless you're the most prolific serial killer in, in the history of the United States or something, I'm not going to be surprised by what you tell me, okay? So this lady came up and she gave me her list of sins and said, God can't use me because of that. But what you said was, I'm a new creature in Christ, so maybe he can use me. And I said, yes, you got it, <laughs> okay? And I don't know if she really believed. I think she did. But if she did, that will change the way she lives the rest of her life and the relationship she has with the church. So we need to understand our forgiveness all the way down to the ground. We need to understand that we are forgiven from head to toe. We are embraced as children of God. Now let's talk about the prophet of salvation. In verses 76 through 80, And you, child, this is Zechariah talking to his newly born son, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel." This great prophet John was to do something. What was he supposed to do? He was supposed to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. We have the very same command on our lives. Knowledge of salvation doesn't save people. Okay? Knowledge alone does not save people. But without the knowledge of salvation, people cannot be saved. This is what Paul says when he says, how are they going to hear if they don't have a preacher? And he doesn't mean uh, me. He means us as believers. We have that very same command to do what John was commanded to do. You and I can impart that same knowledge. Not only can we, but we're commanded to. Now look, if you're on Facebook, please share our sermons. Invite people to go to church with you and then bring them to church with you. Give them gospel tracts and then share the gospel with them. Now, you may think you can't do all of those things, but surely you can do some of those things, right? I think you can do all those things, but maybe I have more confidence in you than you do. But we need to do the same work that John was called to do, which is give people the knowledge of salvation. Now, finally, let's look at the peace of salvation in verse 78 and 79. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now the only way for us to have peace with God is through Christ. You know, God created us and he has every right to do whatever he wants with us. 
if you were with your son or grandson, or if you like video games, and you're there, and you say, hey, I'm going to make this, this avatar on a video game. He's a guy that, you know, he looks a certain way. You decide how he looks. You decide what characteristics he has. And you're going to use this guy in the video game, right? And then instead of obeying you, he goes, how dare you tell me what to do? I don't want to be a little video game character. I want your job. What would you do? I, I would hit delete, right? <laughs> okay. So God made us. And we rebelled against him. We're just nothing but dirt for his pleasure. And we all of a sudden start shaking our fist at him and saying, no, we don't want to listen to you. Again, I would have hit delete, but God didn't. He provided a way of salvation for us. We rebelled in the midst of a perfect situation. Because of the pride of wanting to be God, we declared war. And in spite of that, he came to visit us and make a way of peace. I've heard people complain that it's narrow-minded to say there's only one way of salvation. Guys, if we understand who we are and who God is, we are amazed that there is one way of salvation, right? We don't, we're not amazed that there's only one. We're amazed that there's one at all. It's so much more than we deserve. So listen, guys, we'll stand before God either as beloved adopted children with the righteousness of Christ on your account, or you will stand before him as an enemy combatant. There's no middle ground. So make sure that you are saved. And then somehow take that message of salvation. Guys, in the pandemic times, it is really hard to do. We're trying to grow some small groups. Um, you know that we're going we're gonna to plant a, uh, a church down in Ellisville. And we want to grow those small groups down there. It's hard to grow small groups in the best of times. It is downright impossible in the middle of a pandemic because you go to people's house and say, hey, I know you don't know me. You want to come hang out at my house for a couple of hours? And they go, no, I don't, right? So we got to do what we can do even during this time to get the gospel out. You can tell people, come to church, say, I'll wear a mask, you wear a mask, and we'll sit 10 feet apart and bring them on. Guys, you can tell folks the gospel if you believe and understand and obey the gospel. It's like, I, I can tell people how to get to my house because I live there, right? I go there all the time. I know. And it's the same way. If you know the gospel and believe the gospel, you can share the gospel. If you want to get better at it, we can help you get better at it. But share sermons on Facebook. Bring people to church. Do what we can do to obey that great commission and, and be like John the Baptist. Zechariah said, look, you're going to proclaim the knowledge of salvation. I want us to do that same thing. And guys, as we, as we understand more and more the mercy of God, I pray that you'll love God more and that you'll want to obey him more as we reflect on, on who he is and who we are. And I know we got to battle that. I got to battle the, the pride thing every day. Like I was talking about the worm and the, the glow worm. <laughs> I've got to battle my pride all the time. But let's love the Lord appreciate what he's given us, realize we don't deserve it, and respond accordingly.